0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Emergent Tech series of the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host Gavin Savage and today I'm very lucky to be joined by not one guest but two. Um, I'm joined with by Nav and Fergus from Carbon Underwriting. Welcome guys, how are you doing? Yeah, all
1: good. Yeah, Cheers Gavin. Uh, cheers for having us on as well.
2: Yeah, thank you Gavin. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a good podcast.
0: Yes, it's, um, I was just saying to you guys, it's the first on the tech series that we've had two on, um, and I know you guys have got, you know, your roles for batting in terms of questions, but we'll, I'm sure we'll navigate through them fine. Um, I think before we begin, Nav, maybe this is probably one for, for you to take, you know, I just wanted, before we dive right in, if you could, for those that don't know who Carbon Underwriting are, you know, if you could maybe briefly explain what the business is what the mission is within the insurance space for carbon underwriting
2: i think I, I, I'll, I'll let fergus answer, yeah, yeah, answer uh, that side of the things uh, okay <laughs> I, i'm off on the, off on the techie side in the conversation and uh, i think fergus will do good justice to answer this question yes
1: yeah, okay. i'm definitely more on the insurance side
0: We've had to do a couple of nice... Uh, couple <laughs> okay, of so, so we'll uh, define that. So you're the insurance guy, and Nav, you're the tech guy. <laughs>
1: that's, the, yeah. that, that's the roles we've got here. I'm insurance a little bit of tech. Uh, Nav's tech with a bit of insurance thrown in on the side. Yeah, but, okay. Um, yeah, so well, just maybe to introduce myself quickly. So Fergus, I've been at Carbon for two and a half years now, and I lead the uh, analytics team at Carbon, internally known as the Quants a bit of a sort of like project management slash analytics engineering, bit of data engineering, sort of uh, the whole sort of startup sort of vibe of uh, doing a bit of everything and trying to get, uh, trying to get everyone involved. But yeah, I'll I'll roll on with uh, Carbon now. Um, So Carbon, uh, we started off as a uh, syndicate in a box. We were the first sort of syndicate in a box to start. For those that don't know what a syndicate in a box is, it's a Lloyd's scheme set up to inspire innovation within the sort of Lloyd's market. Um, it requires that you have a sort of unique selling point because the idea of it is that you can start up an insurance company with sort of very little money behind you you normally need sort of about 100 million to, to maybe even 500 million pounds to set up uh, an insurance company or insurance syndicate um, they wanted uh, anyone to be able to start with sort of 10 to 15 million pounds but you needed to have this unique selling point because uh, there's a lot of sort of these giant incumbents in the market, sort of these sort of, uh, I won't name names to be fair, but sort of <laughs> the, the very large insurance companies, they've been going for sort of hundreds of years in some cases, and uh, they're just sort of trundling along, they sort of uh, own the market because they've got such a large share, but not, not, they're not really doing any innovating because what they've done has worked for many years now, worked for hundreds of years really since the Lloyd's market was set up. Uh, Lloyd's just wanted to inspire some innovations and sort of going into new classes, new technologies and that sort of business. And so our founders left their previous jobs um, to start up a syndicate in a box with uh, the intention of making it a sort of a very a data-focused and a sort of, they wanted to call it sort of the first like data-focused syndicate. Um, and it meant that we could run it essentially as a tech company rather than an insurance company. So this has inspired a lot of sort of um, the values that Carbon holds. We've got a very large tech team for an insurance company. Uh, sort of 40% of our headcount is technology, which is extraordinarily rare for, uh, for any sort of insurance company and 60% on the insurance side. Um, over the last three years, we've uh, sort of gone from strength to strength. We've gone from sort of 15 million pounds of premium our first year, 42 and a half, 65. This year we're doing 150 million premium. So uh, with 10 times our premium in just like four years with ambitions to be doing sort of half a billion within the next sort of four or five years time. Uh, we graduated to be a full syndicate uh, as of sort of uh, the first of January this year. And that brings with it sort of some new challenges, both from like a regulatory perspective, but also it allows us to expand into sort of a lot more territories, a lot more classes of business. And uh, we've also recently just secured some uh, investment from Apiary Capital, which will allow us to sort of um, put a lot more money into sort of the tech side and the insurance side with uh, sort of to go alongside this sort of full syndicate graduation and expansion.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Um. Yeah, well, quite a journey. And my next question is probably going to be talk me through the pivotal moments, but it seems like there's been quite a few uh, over the last three years. I'll probably change that to what has been the pivotal moment, as in singular, that's, you know, that's really defined that journey and transition to being a data and really analytics-led tech company from what it was before, what, what was the kind of, what was the moment for you guys? Do you feel that it changed?
2: I think I'll I'll go back to obviously the, um, the inception of uh, our, our actual products, uh, Graphene X, uh, because before that uh, we've, we'd had uh, obviously all the ideas and general dashboards and internally, but then turning into a proper product takes totally different mindset. And then uh, we, that was like one week of um, like quick POC, quick hack we did. And uh, we realized that you know, there's, there's, a, there's a bigger approach we need to take if we really want to turn this into a product and uh, embed this into the entire organization and have the outward impact within the industry as well. So create tech that's, uh, that's able to you know, grow with the business alongside not just you know uh, serve uh, I'd say short milestones or anything. And that realization that how uh, big that platform could be once we start building it was actually a moment where I definitely I'd say had to take had to take a step back and be like, uh, will we be able to deliver deliver this big promise of this big platform uh, in a few months' time. And that uh, entire sort of uh, thought process defined, I think, pretty much uh, over 80% of tech stack to the team structure, to the way we train team, to the way team work. That that entire sort of, sort of week or so, I think that directly impacted that.
0: Hmm. And how do you feel like since that, Moment since the delivery of that this product, how has it shaped Carbon's identity? And and I guess my question is twofold: in that, why is why was doing why was building? You know, we can get into the kind of details of the the product that you guys built and graphene. But you know, how did it shape Carbon's identity? And and why is graphene necessary now to the business and so core to the business?
2: I think just to draw a quick distinction around, like you know, carbon and what graphene is like graphene is technical arm of, of carbon, and we yeah. support uh, carbon with sort of you know all the tech and data and insights. Now, uh, you know, over the past few months and years, graphene has evolved, which we start to call it, and I think it has evolved into more of a data ecosystem. Which has grown uh, from day one, uh, along with the business. So there've been various needs, and we've had, uh, you know, insurance professionals who've been experienced working in insurance for ages and coming up with many ideas. But we needed to grow graphene hand in hand with the business, with those ever evolving ideas. In a in a sense that, uh, you know, one day we once sort of it becomes stable, the stable tech we're able to reuse and extend and rebuild on top of it. And now, so we, we're, we sit in 2023, and I think graphene has sort of, every single nut and bolt of graphene has evolved along with the business and has been rapid enough. And those are sort of some of the strategies which we can later talk about, uh, what str- strategies we employ to uh, quickly adapt uh, a technical uh, product uh, to grow with uh, w- along with the startup.
1: Mm-hmm. I think just to draw some dis- a slight distinction for the sort of uh, the the point in time that Nav's talking about. So since the inception of the Syndicate and what I came into to start off with was there has been an analytics suite that sits behind it that we called Graphene. Now, the the bit that Nav is talking about is where we changed, we sort of switched over from being just this pure analytics suite, essentially sort of dashboards, analytics, the whole data model, which is the core of Graphene. But the the really pivotal moment was where it switched over from being this sort of internal analytics suite to being this full on sort of scalable SaaS application, essentially. Um, And that sort of allowed us to sort of uh, release the product externally, and also sort of build a lot more into the product rather than simply just being an analytics suite, which is what it was at the start. And that was the sort of original intention. But then that point I think was when the the rest of the company especially realized sort of how much more we could do with the product rather than essentially what is just some pretty pictures? Well, obviously there's there's a whole load of data modeling work that goes on behind it, but all of the most of what the sort of uh, the consumers of the product see or end users see is these sort of pretty pictures essentially. So that that's really the distinction of when it switched to being the sort of uh, the full on SaaS application.
0: And why was it that it was so important to invest in that further tech stack for you guys? You know, was there an option to buy versus build ever or was this just something that you just don't see in the kind of mg MGU market at all
1: i mean really honestly there's ne- i mean there's never really been the- when you say buy as you mean sort of acquire another company to do it or do you mean buyers in like to uh just invest in sort of a, a new tech
0: product invest in a new tech product or invest in something to integrate um you know bring something out house in-house rather than you guys have built this from the ground up
2: uh, uh- I think um, when building, we we definitely had, had thoughts around initial stages around whether to acquire certain pieces outside or capabilities. But uh, we also had a great opportunity to start greenfield. Hmm. You know, we could we could have went out and looked around a lot of platforms that you can redesign or uh, configure to work in the way you want to be. One of yeah. which. Uh, I think we we know the big boys, uh, you know one of the largest uh, uh, SaaS product company there in the world, and their their platform is quite configurable. But then for us, it was uh, holding that opportunity that it's it's greenfield. Let's uh, let's start scratch. Uh, let's pick the lean uh, stack that we can and build fast fail fast learn fast and iterate fast and during that process we would have known that things that are not working we might need to change approach pivot and get another one get instead of having a waterfall approach that hey we're just going to go buy this big platform instead of that let's quickly try and test uh small things small implementations and get it get it out in the hands of underwriters, the actual users, as soon as you can, even if it's in a, uh, in a silliest way, it can be. And then let them use it, experience it, bring it back. And then that sort of entire iteration sort of journey helped us uh, focus on building it, keep building it from scratch as Greenfield, because there was more value in that than sort of value over effort. We would, would have seen that? How much effort we're spending producing? How much value out for, for the business with this tech, mm. and I've definitely seen that incremental value coming out. And that's where this decision was: uh, let's keep building greenfield. Let's let's build uh, everyone. Let's build their best platform ever that they've that they would have built. And I think everyone, like you know, especially Mark coming from banking and or all of the other guys in the team coming from various different industries, we've sort of tried to employ all the best practices, all the best experiences that have tried to deliver the, the best platform uh, so far. The Lloyd's market
1: has so many quirks as well. You're sort of building something and it hasn't been done before, really, because it's such a quirky sort of marketplace. Like there, there's no, there's, they're building only at the moment a core data record, which is literally just like a standardized method of sort of communicating risk level information. Would, in every other industry, they have that already. You've got a sort of a yeah. way that you sort of transmit messages about what it is it, whether you're doing trades or stocks or anything like that. The Lloyds, Lloyd's market doesn't have that, they're, they're still building that at the moment. Mm-hmm. And you've also got all the different classes be- between them, that which have very different, very differing sort of um, uh, very differing needs, as such. Like, so there are quite a few platforms out there, say, for marine insurance, because that's what Lloyds is sort of uh, the, that's the core of Lloyds is marine. But for maybe for the stuff that we're doing, we might want slightly different analytics to what another company might want. And it's sort of uh, having to rely on someone to build those for you rather than sort of having, as I've said, just the speed to be able to sort of go. One day someone goes, I've got like this bit of analytics and you can just immediately provide it for them rather than having to sort of this whole sort of route of being like making a request for it, maybe being charged for it, having someone come back. So like process, we can build it. If it doesn't work, we immediately get rid. We can immediately get rid of it rather than spending a couple of weeks with a tech provider trying to sort it out
0: yeah yeah it's interesting I mean uh, when you talk about the where the insurance space is in terms of you know coming up with that data model you know comparison to other industries being new to insurance myself you know it's I've said it it sounds quite bad but you don't really have to build something off the wall an insurance you just kind of have to build something decent and it's, you will be lorded as heroes in this space. <laughs> Anything that's not an Excel document. <laughs> um, but you guys have built something truly innovative, you know, truly cutting edge. How, you know, again, just to kind of explain the, the, the value from it, the value proposition, how does the, what you guys have built in terms of graphing and, and carbon as a whole contributed, you know, how does this product truly disrupt the insurance market from an underwriting perspective and and provide that competitive edge that for the Lloyd's Syndicate program that they clearly saw in it.
1: So I think the main thing that we provide, at least to, to everyone that we work with, is this transparency that isn't really seen elsewhere, especially especially in bind the business. Because the, the method of communication, if anyone's not aware, is, is a border row, which is an extremely old-fashioned way of communicating stuff via Excel. It's essentially every single uh, sort yep. of row in an Excel file is a different risk that you've got in or a different policy. Um, and sort of joining those all together from a variety of different cover holders. Uh, so we've got, I think, sort of twenty different uh, cover holders or MJs as the other sort of word for them outside of Lloyd's. That we get these border we get this border data from. Every single one of them is different, and to then we then have to standardize all of those into this common data model. Which we can then provide, and then once it's all standardized, we can then provide this to everyone else in the chain. And we can also do make do the same analytics. Um, sorry, provide them to everyone else in the chain. So we can probably provide them back down to the cup holders in some case. They often don't know, they often don't have the sort of tech capacity to uh sort of make and draw these sort of uh, bit fancier conclusions from their data. Also, the brokers, reinsurers, we've got follow markets as well. So from we've got uh Lloyd's first variable property consortium as well. Uh, Just a bit of a mouthful there, but, um, and our reinsurers as well. So reinsurers often won't know what risks they're on for until nine months after they've written them, or nine months after the syndicate they're attached to have written them. Um, We will provide that information to them as soon as we know it. So as soon as the border is uploaded into the system, as soon as we know it, our reinsurers have access to it, cover holders, follow markets, everyone like that. So it allows um, not only us, but also them to react to any events that happen um, a lot more quickly than nine months. It's sort of nine months, especially for property data, you already had all your claims within basically the first nine months anyway. Um, so it's a bit late to sort of uh, make any changes to your portfolio. So that transparency between all of the parties involved is really, I think, at least the big thing that we're innovating for in the, like going, At least the big thing that we're going for um, with with Graphene.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then going back to like the actual sort of the technical value proposition, which, Often I've seen like, you know, been around insurance now for, for a couple of years is getting gets alluded where uh, a lot of uh, insurtechs or new solutions start to pitch a lot of buzzwordy solutions that, Hey, we've got AI part this, we've got AI part of that or well, blockchain solution to do X, Y, Z, but
0: yeah.
2: a real data product uh, cannot fly very, very far uh, without a solid uh, data model in place. And uh, as as Graphene, uh, behind the scenes, we've spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time on polishing, reiterating on top of our data models. Uh, and the common data model that we've got in place, that's the only reason uh, we're able to do uh, really fast uh, delivery of innovative products, innovative microservices uh, uh, within Graphene ecosystem. Uh, because someone wants to build an ML capability now, someone wants to build an automated capability now. It's all very straightforward because the common data model is there. And hence the team talks the same language. The, there's that data culture, which gets embedded throughout the uh, throughout the company, then, so then your tech is company, your company is tech, in a way. Um, and I think uh, often it gets sort of sidetracked with with the value proposition, where uh, it's often sort of presented as the the tools, the the, the products, or the consumer layers, which which we've got the, a great consumer layer, so it's great user experience. But powering that, the real IP, the real Value proposition is, is a common data model which powers all of that.
0: Hmm. And kind of leaning on more from what you're saying there, Nav, around the, the ecosystem of, of Graphene Like, I'm always interested, and I know the listeners are from a tech perspective, you know, where, you know, what considerations are there for, for you as the, the kind of product leader, you know, working with the executive team working with the tech team as a whole when you're you know when you take into what i found was interesting that one you chose python is the the role of language um, i believe you're on the kind of the google integration system i believe also you've got a bit of monolith and and microservices in terms of architecture like the thinking behind languages and, and various architectures for me is interesting i hope it's interesting for people listening but you know could you kind of talk me through your mindset and considerations when factoring all of these things in before actually building graphene, and i guess why
2: very interesting question yeah i get i get asked this question very often outside uh, <laughs> in, in insurance as well you know you're not going to believe the very first like, when when we when we started uh drawing the actual architecture after mm-hmm. having the realization that we need to now put Graphene uh, X, the Sa- the SaaS product into picture. The first language we've wrote uh, on the whiteboard is the OG PHP. Mm. Like uh, yeah. shall we pick PHP, it's the time we need to decide our stack. We're building a modern web application. Like Cool, no, let's, shall we pick Java? All the considerations around what frameworks are supported and what everything else is supported, we've, we've talked about Python as well. And uh, often what I've seen in sort of when building tech greenfield, uh, the, the tech is heavily influenced by the main, the lead developer, the lead engineer, the, 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 the CTO in the team, the lead technician. Often the tech and the stack is influenced by their experience, whatever they're comfortable writing it. It goes with that. Uh, But here, uh, I think we've made a bit mindful uh, choice. Now, uh, we had to to consider not just what Ferg and I could write, uh, the languages we could write the platform in, but we also had to consider that it is a company that everyone's trying to create. Yeah, we, we're trying to create an innovative product. We're trying to disrupt the industry. We're going to grow a team. We're going to sort of have many unseen challenges coming up uh, where we're not going to become 100% tech company, per se, as well. So we shouldn't think like 100% tech company as well. So what are the tools out there we can pick that will give us that flexibility to, to grow, to innovate, uh, and and to do all sorts of amazing things, and that's where uh, the decision. First thing first, to go with Google Cloud was one thing that it outstands. I think is is the documentation side of things. The the documentation of Google Cloud to a newbie uh, does not sound very or look very very technical. If you go AWS or Azure documentation and ask a graduate, be like, hey, can you learn these tools? And it's going to look very, very sort of serious documentation, whereas Google, I think that experience is very easy for a a new learner to come in. And and then a few other considerations around sort of the capabilities of Google around its power on offering, uh, you know, auto ML services, where sort of you you just got pre-built uh, ML solutions and uh, quite robust uh, managed services, which are at times way cheaper than AWS as well. So, all those considerations help us decide our, uh, I think, the, the base foundation, which is Google Cloud. Now, what we're going to innovate on top of it. Uh, so, we had to pick language of the choice. Python came no brainer because the community support behind it, uh, the documentation around it, every other university is teaching it these days, uh, easy to learn and uh, good support around it and good uh, community guidelines around it. Um, and that sort of then started influencing all the other decisions, like which backend we need to pick, such as Django. Shall we shall we go ahead and build everything in, in Flask as microservices? Uh, now, you know, distributed microservices for everything sounds so cool, but then, when when you also got to work really fast and create, um, create a tech that should scale as you grow as a business as well. And again, it's not a tech company. It is, you know, tech is the unique value proposition of carbon. So how do you sustain how you grow with that? There's not going to be enough time if we build all the microservices and after seven months or eight months, we come back and refactor it. How are you going to handle that technical debt? So why can't we pick something like, Django, but deploy it in a more in, in a microservices way. So have it set up in a monolith way, but deploy it within your infrastructure. Our infrastructure is very microservice oriented. It's not monolith at all. Uh, in fact, Django is, is just a tiny microservice, a tiny microservice within within our entire ecosystem. And uh, but the platform, the code base itself, is very monolith. That saves us a lot of time, you know, innovating. That helps us to not rewrite any coding standards, per mm. se, because we could, uh, we could enforce Django's coding standards or Python's eight coding standards, and then we can make sure the code quality is always gonna be consistent across the team. And now we've got a team of over 15 uh, employees and 15 developers including developers, quants, everyone and anyone who's contributing to the code base from building ETL pipelines to building, uh, you know, production uh, product services. And we don't really have to go and enforce code quality rules, standards and anything, because we've just picked something that's worked in industry, that is stable, that people also want to know. It's a two-way thing. A graduate or an employee comes work for you, they also want to learn new things. They also want to make their CV shine for future. So what can you give back to them, you know? And the decisions around these services then got influenced, not just, as I said, like, you know, the key uh, technology member of the team, but the overall strategy, the vision um, Got anything? I
1: think Nav also saw uh, my face when he wrote Java and PHP on the <laughs> whiteboard. And I just uh, on the verge of a mental breakdown thinking I was going to have to learn two brand new languages uh, that I barely even heard of before. Um, so that was, that was potentially also it. But um, <laughs> basically everyone in my team at Carbon and the analytics team is a graduate as well. And we're not, not computer science graduates or maths, physics, sort of pro- the problem, sol- problem solvers rather than sort of pure computer science. Python is just the most taught language. Everyone at least knows a bit of it, that it's quite a comfortable language to learn. Um, We're also not, we're not looking to, we don't need, we have no need for sort of a super low-level programming language. Um, We're not doing anything on sort of nanosecond trades or anything like that. So a borderer comes in once a month. Like while some of our services need to be fast, they're realistically like Python taking, 20 seconds to, to do something that could be done in a second really doesn't matter that much to us. Um, if we are looking, obviously it's nice to have everything fast. Everyone likes to say how quick their things are compared to everyone else's, but um, it's just, it's a lot easier for us to use that. And also it comes with a lot of, like, Python is a, a very safe language to, to use. It does a lot, it, it protects you a lot in a way that uh, the other lower level languages don't. So it makes, it, it's a lot easier to teach graduates. It's a lot easier for everyone to sort of like get involved with really. Because that is the, the culture in Carbon is everyone get involved, try and get involved in every project. If you want to do some Django, well, we've got while well, it's sort of quite advanced at the moment, we're happy to let anyone get it, get stuck in, and have a go at creating a service within it. Airflow again, it's easy. There's a lot of pre-built stuff in Airflow as well. Like there's all these new there's all these new tools like Dagster, Prefect, and all that. Um, but really, Airflow has been around for a long time. It's got all these pre-built modules. It's very easy just to sort of get something, get something done that you might have to build in Airflow that you might have to sort of build something custom for in to or Prefect.
2: And and that that goes back to like you know, give, empowering your your team to uh, do the the innovation without worrying about the infrastructure and nitty-gritties of anything. Uh, and we sort of have a culture of full cycle development. And anyone and everyone in our team uh, who can write a line of code, we just encourage them to go and play around with the infrastructure because the, the way the tools are all positioned and built up within the infrastructure, there's very little way any, that they, they can do any, any, anything bad. And uh, uh, so that just also allows uh, people to you know, move fast with the innovation. If they've got new ideas, they can prototype it fast. But also, uh, once they prototype it fast, they need to deploy to production. So they don't have to really go reinvent and rewrite the entire code because the infrastructure is built in such a way for everyone is they can just employ the full cycle strategy from uh, MVP to to the final production release uh, and have no worries about code qualities or things breaking or even things affecting any other applications.
0: It's interesting. I mean, I love it. that It's all based on, I think, at the heart of everything that you're saying and considerations. It's based a lot on culture at Carbon and for the people. And I hear different considerations, you know, speaking to CTO last week who decided to move away from relational databases and host everything on vectors and graph data models. But none of the team had used it. But he was like, I know this is better and it will get things. So we're all just going to have to learn a different point of view maybe not so great for culture and and adding more and more people into that environment. And then on the other hand, you have people that choose an insurance language based on maybe the complexity of data that they have, so a very obscure language. I think we spoke about it off-camera. Someone we've had on a podcast that used Haskell, um, You know, based on its resilience and ability to do what that space needed it to do from a data volume capacity. Again, not tons of people versed in that language, but it's just – it's interesting, and 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 just yeah, it's just an interesting perspective as to why you considered the stack um, that you did. Now, I've coming not coming from insurance. I was kind of keen from a product perspective to know for you. Was there any was there any quick wins for you in terms of coming in at carbon underwriting? You know, fresh canvas if you like plain canvas coming in. Was there any quick wins within the existing technology that MGAs or you know, underwriters and insurers were were not using, you know, were there any obvious gaps for you to fill as a as a product leader that you could spot straight away, or you know, I is think, that a kind of fair question?
2: I think coming I, I I come from consultancy experience last last four years. I've been working with the big corporates building tech data products for them and there the life is really slow. And if you're building one piece of tech, you you probably be stuck there for five to six months. And and I think one of the biggest wins was the realizing and that that one week, which we've, we've, we've talked about at the very beginning uh, of our talk, is that realizing that if we need to deliver this big vision, we need to build our own shopfront, we need to build our own product, a SaaS application, and we need to have control of everything uh, ourselves then that will allow uh, us to move faster way faster without any restrictions and and i think that was one of the quickest wins and sort of i would add up to my sort of legacy at, at carbon and and it's it's just realizing that we don't really need rocket science solutions right now we just need simple ways of doing simple things but in a scalable way in a structured way, so then they could be replicated like a copy-based method. Mm. And now you've uh, you just uh, recently talked about like you know how someone um, vouched for vector databases in their team and be like, hey, we just got to go with that because we know this is the best thing. Now we've done something similar, you know. I, I, w- I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say that we've always like you know we've we've just went to, like, all the graduates and say, hey, we're going to use whatever you've learned in, in your degree mm-hmm. because academia yeah. is very different. We've built, you know, the, the tools that Airflow is quite complicated tool for a graduate to jump on. DBT yeah. is quite a complicated framework for a graduate to jump on. Django is quite complicated framework for a graduate to jump on. What we did is made the onboarding, and learning process so easy for them. So it's almost seamless. And I think the and another sort of you know, just adding up to your your question is delivering those pieces in like boxed manner and then seeing results coming back, not just for me, building product wasn't just building X and then seeing the usage of it and the adoption of it. But also building the infrastructure and seeing the team adopting to the infrastructure and delivering without having any questions and coming back to me back and forth. Mm. And that was because that is also I think that is eighty percent of the product that teams able to support it, build it, uh, grow it, and add up to it. And and I think those the implementation of those. uh, reusable packages, reusable chunks, and guidelines in place allowed me to see those things coming out very quickly where teams just able to deploy things uh, themselves. And then that's had a sort of direct impact on what we deliver on the product side of things, because now we're able to, uh, Boyfog and I were able to give proper time to underwriters and understand their needs and you got to know your customer, your user first, and then work backwards. And now we were understanding them and then coming backward to to our, uh, you know, sketchboard and trying to see what would work for them. Not a rocket science solution. Can there be something as simple as a pop-up model, Hmm. a table editor, which would make their life easy to, like, say
0: certain would save n number of hours in their day. Hmm. Interesting. And kind of going when you were talking about onboarding the the engineers. You know, culturally, it seems like you're you're never built. You're never done building a culture. You know, you're always building a culture. It seems like today, you know, you guys have got it spot on. You know, I, I think it's uh, it sounds like a sounds like a very fun fast-moving, innovative place to work, which is what everyone wants right now within a tech company. But in the very beginning of this episode, you touched on the distribution of um, carbon being almost almost 50-50 in terms of insurance people and and tech people. You know, that, I always kind of go back to saying it's about kind of winning hearts and minds within a company that was once not or built upon mainly non-technical, people and then to transition into that and again off camera we all talked about that transition that you had to go through between tech team and insurance side of the business like was there a you know in that transitioning what for you guys have been now that you look back on it and you see the day-to-day activity the weekly activity of everyone operating in the same way with your tech stack what are the kind of most valuable takeaways in the in those pivotal moments of that transition for you because the reason why I ask is that a lot of companies are going through that transition that you're going through right now. And um, and I think these types of insights and takeaways are, are so valuable for those going through that that journey themselves.
1: Yeah, um, so I think we can probably, start, like when we first started with the whole sort of like graphene project, this sort of analytics system, we thought it would be this sort of uh, all-seeing, all-knowing, sort of lots of machine learning and cool AI stuff and like statistical modeling and all that sort of business that would help sort of, Predict like where loss predict where the loss ratios can be sort of like decreased areas where we should sort of pull out of go into like all these sort of like um, the predictive analytics essentially and while we are getting there on that I think what we realised after a bit was that the real power behind it at least for now is prove is sort of improving the efficiency within the company and so having the tech team integrated with the underwriters slowly, I think made them realize the sort of power of the product, the power of the sort of product that we were providing to them. So we had someone from the analytics team sitting with most sort of someone who's sort of assigned to or at least sits next to every one of the underwriters and the underwriting assistants. And they realized that not only was this, that like the analytics were helping them sort of like with this sort of portfolio level view, for example, the the, the sort of more senior underwriters being able to look at their, not just individual binders but look at the say the whole casualty portfolio that would often take months beforehand to combine this up into one view but it was sort of there immediately for them and then there's the sort of more efficiency on that sort of um just on the standard sort of menial day-to-day tasks you would do as an underwriting assistant a lot of the tasks a lot of the tasks you do us so, all so, all to do with sort of data cleansing data extraction sort of maybe uh, sort of putting in uh, predicting categories for stuff by just like going in and randomly typing or selecting from dropdowns stuff like that. So we were able to automate a lot of that process. And so I think they realized after a while the power of having having this sort of larger tech team that was very integrated with the company as opposed to most other companies that just sit on a different floor or they'd be known yeah. as like the IT team essentially where it's just like fix your computer and um, sort of sort of Excel, give you some tips on Excel and stuff like that. Yeah. So And that, and that shift from us, thinking that it was going to be about predicting and sort of all predicting the future, essentially, within, within insurance to this sort of just like getting the efficiency of the company up. Obviously, we're moving towards predictive analytics now that we've got that. But um, it's allowed us to have a lot leaner team just sort of company-wide. So we've, we've got currently no one, we, all, our, all of our reinsurance is done um, automatically to sort of straight extract from our data model into sort of a variety of different sort of border and extracts. Normally in most companies, you have several people, especially even our size, um, that would do this. Same with finance, all of these all of these sort of reports and regulatory reports that have to be done. Um, I remember our uh, compliance manager, Sonia, we simply, we just did an extract for, a very simple extract for, at least very simple for us. And she was like, my last company, this took three months for everyone to come together and do this. And having not been from insurance, you don't really realise how long some of these things take until someone tells you and you're like, oh, well, this is, this is really where the value lies in having to have a lot less people and making the people who are there a lot more efficient
2: and and like really having like you know that underwriter influence in, into the tech like what one, one of our uh, underwriters Giovanni really loves to say like you know graphene is a is a uh, platform built by underwriters for underwriting. and the uh, writing and and we can that that's really happening because of this uh, this culture this cross-collaboration
1: you do have to be careful sometimes with uh uh with your sort of innovation as well because i remember there's there's been a few times where nav has come to me with this really cool idea he's like oh i found this new cool new product uh or this cool new tech tool you do all this and this and this and i'm like oh hang on a second Nav. let's just actually check if anyone wants this before it may it might only be a week but let's actually check if any of the underwriters will use this and we go to them like nah useless would never use that and it's like oh well i'm sort of glad we checked that beforehand it's like there's a especially within tech teams there's a lot of sort of want to use cool cool new tools to come out and like new machine learning like like all this sort of like trends around like llms and stuff at the moment it's like all these companies may say they've got an llm but is anyone really going to use it sort of we we created our own it wasn't quite an llm but it was a sort of a search based analytics tool and it's amazing for presentations everyone loves it it looks really cool but it's not used as often as we thought it would be. We assumed that everyone would use it the whole time rather than searching for sort of dashboards and for various things. And it's not to say it's not used, but it's, uh, it's used considerably less than we thought it would be. And it's we only spent, we could have spent ages developing our own LLM and sort of putting in all the company's data to it. But for that, we, we were like, oh, we'll try a quick sort of pre-boxed solution, see if that works. If it does work and everyone likes it, then we can switch to something a bit fancier
2: yeah that that's that a you know like you can keep building all those fancy solutions out there in the market if if the users uh, are not adopting it, you can't really force them to 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 use it and it's uh with an insurance, I think what we've seen it's more of a cultural change for on the right is the culture's been that we talk through spreadsheets, we talk spreadsheets, and it, that's that's the world, and now all of a sudden it's it's a it's a massive uh culture change. Which uh, which often needs to be done like slowly uh, with with your users and stakeholders, than just enforcing that. Hey, this this new uh, way of uh, generative AI is gonna is gonna change the the entire sort of world of underwriting for you because all these ideas have been there and we've had so many amazing things built in, into our product from like last two years, but whether our users uh, use it on day-to-day basis not that often and would we want to make them force them use it why so if it's not adding any direct value to their day-to-day job is it saving them any time doing their job is it making is it giving them extra bit of information to do their job if it's just like a nice fancy thing to have there then you know then we just what I I think from everyone from product point of point of view, really to sort of think like how to position those things down to down to you to your users.
0: And it's I- fun to do that, though, isn't it? It's fun to build new exciting things, but then you know someone like Fergus can actually maybe say, right, do we actually need this? And we had a guest on the podcast that kind of talks of that. Um, you know, it's almost like the silent killer of startups in some way. People trying to create too many products, you know, too many features. Um, and it's about trying to find the balance of what's actually needed and probably what's just a bit of a maybe a side project. But guys, we're sorry to kind of cut you short, but we're out of time. I think... Um, I think we're going to have to get you back on for an episode number two because I had way much more to ask you. Few <laughs> um, people, people, it's twice as much talking, <laughs> right? <It's... laughs> yeah, it is, it is. But, like, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I think I, I really loved that piece at the end on, you know, that transition. I do feel like it's, a, a, f- from my conversations, you know, you know, we hear about it a lot in terms of t- changing that mindset changing that way of integrating as you see the it teams over here almost in a black box and the rest of the business over here and and again culture is never fully built but you guys seem like you're doing it fantastically well so it was hugely insightful a lot of fun and um thanks for coming on yeah, thanks for well, having thanks, us thanks for
2: yeah. inviting us.